if you have a good investment, you'll find the money for it because investors are always looking for a good deal. And the same is true in the world of a single family home or other types of real estate. If it's a good investment, people will find a way to invest in that deal if they know about it. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, you guys are going to have a treat. The I get to interview a friend of mine. You know, I, I first got to meet Justin through Front Row Dads. You know, it's a it's a men's group for fathers that we get together a few times a year. And there's all sorts of different things for a bunch of guys that used to say, you know, we were entrepreneurs with families and it was a mindset change to say, no, we are we are family guys that also have businesses or also entrepreneurs. So that was the first time we got to talk. And, and we've had we've shared a bunch of, you know, fun, interesting conversations, uh, especially now that we are both living in Austin. But, you know, Justin started in door to door sales a really long time ago. I'll let him share that. You know, he had to learn and a lot of people are out there, you know, selling and he converted, you know, he started making money in door-to-door sales, but has converted that into multiple different streams of income, multiple different businesses, has done, you know, somewhere between 100 and 200 kind of investment deals, has started businesses, has sold businesses, has helped people, has consulted. And the reason I wanted to bring him on to talk to you guys out there is, you know, last year was the year. I'm going to start talking about 2020, like last year. I want that thing like behind us, but we get to take the lessons from it. But some of those lessons that we got was, I remember being really glad I had my rental properties when my income business of flipping houses was shut down, you know, because the foreclosures were cut off. So it's good to have a backup plan. And Justin has over a hundred backup plans for things. You know, he started with, he was just making money selling door to door, but being able to use that and agents are the same way. A lot of agents go work and get the commission and they build that sphere and they get the commission. But what if, you know, something happens right now, there's not much inventory. It's hard. It's harder for people to work. We're going to talk about some backup plans. So the, uh, and he has a great new book we're going to talk about too. So Justin, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me on, Aaron. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really fitting because we had this scheduled and we we're hanging out last night watching the Super Bowl together and talking about homes and investment properties. And, you know, it was cool. We looked at a, a property that you're looking at right now. So, you know, it, it's fun to connect and, and be able to kind of go deeper here for, uh, you know, for your audience and uh, just for the fun of us getting to know each other even better. Yeah. Yeah. And for the listeners, so Justin and I have hung out a lot and we've got to talk about deals a lot. Yeah. Even last night as we're watching the Super Bowl and the, but this will be a unique opportunity for all of us because we are going to get to go deep, get to learn more about kind of Justin's history and, you know, the different things that he has to offer out there. So, so Justin, tell me how old are you? You got your first sales job. Where did you live? And, uh, and what did you learn? So I grew up in Chicago, in a suburb of Chicago. And what I did when I first got started, so when I was in seventh grade, you know, I had had an allowance before this with my parents and they, you know, had different things I would do and I would earn money, but I wanted to earn some real money. And I was spending more than, you know, or, or I wanted to spend more than what I was getting an allowance. And so I remember my mom saying, hey, we're not going to be your bank. If you want more money, go get a job. 
And so at seventh, you know, seventh grader trying to find a job, there's not a ton of options out there, but I pulled out the old, you know, the, the daily newspaper and uh, started going through it and finding, you know, work that maybe I could do. And I found this job. I actually don't even know that I really understood what it was till I got there, but it turned out to be selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. And, uh, you know, in today's day and age, I don't know if people are as comfortable with that, but back then it was like, Hey, you can go in these neighborhoods and just, you know, try and sell, just knock on these strangers doors and try and sell them. And they didn't even have a script or anything. And so I remember I first started and I was horrible. I was just so bad at it. And, uh, I, I still don't know why I continue to do it because I, it's not like I got good fast. It took yeah. me some time. Uh, but with time and with modeling some other people and with getting used to the, this rejection, you know, there was a fear of rejection that eventually disappeared and I stopped taking things personally. Then it just kind of became a lot more linear. They want to buy, they don't want to buy, or I did a good job influencing them. I didn't do a good job influencing them. And it really kind of changed my perspective around it. I ended up getting really good at selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. I ended up building scripts for the company that uh, any new person brought on would be trained with. And then everyone on the team would start using my scripts. And then I eventually developed my own team while I was in high school and took them out and they sold subscriptions or coupon books or whatever it was on a door to door basis. And I would earn a commission off of each of them. Wow. And that's, I, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of you guys listening out there, maybe some of you guys are like, yes, I remember doing that seventh grade job. And other people are thinking, wow, I wouldn't have imagined doing that when I was in seventh grade. So you were going, I, I used to love looking at the classifieds back then and being able to see like what was out there. Like that was it. Now, now there's social media. Now there's all sorts of different ways. But you're right. Not many opportunities out there for a 12 year old to go and start making money and they had nothing to lose. They're like, Hey, go try That must've been a commission based job only hundred percent commission. Yeah. I made no. So, I mean, I literally was working for free for a period of time because I was not good at it. Yeah. Like they're like, what can we lose? Like, yeah, you're 12, but we can send 10, 12 year olds to the same neighborhood. And it doesn't even matter if nobody buys, we don't pay you. If somebody does, then it's a, a win-win. So you got to, so you were working hard. Your parents said, we're not going to be your bank. Go out there. You found the one job you can get. And then you started, how old were you before you realized like, Hey, there's a system here and other people can use my system. Cause by high school you had a big team, but how old were you when it was like, Hey, let's, uh, I'll just tell someone what to say. Like the, where you started doing the same thing each time. Yeah. So in, in eighth grade, I had gotten a lot better. So, you know, after a year, I would say I was pretty, you know, pretty average. And then by eighth grade, I had gotten decent at it by ninth grade. I was really good at it and I was making a significant amount of money because I wasn't working a ton of hours. So let's think about it as let's say I work three or four days a week after school and that's it, you know, maybe four hours each night, but I'm bringing home checks that were 300 to $500, sometimes even close to $600. And that's a lot of money for a young high schooler who's totally working a part-time job. And it really opened my eyes to the opportunity. So when I really started getting to the place where my boss said, Hey, you're on to something. Can you just write down everything you say? Cause at that point in time, I didn't have a script. I just rattled stuff off. So I actually yeah. created a script. It was all in my head. 
And then I laminated it and kind of handed it to him. And he's like, this is incredible. I want to start training everyone on it. So it took me some time to really get it down. But once I got it down, I really started to excel with it. And I got very comfortable with it. And I've always enjoyed people. So that was something that uh, was fun. But once I, I got control of my emotions, once I learned how to uh, you know, really receive rejection and not take it personally, and then recognize the, the cause effect with work ethic and number of you know, potential sales, seeing how many uh, yeses I could get to. So it was all kind of a numbers game. That's when things really started to take off. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot like real estate. You know, as agents are out there listing on their processes, they've got their scripts and they've got their processes and it takes a little practice to get there, but then it still becomes a numbers game, right? No matter what, you're not going to have hundred percent success rate. You got it. So you got to go, you got to finally tune your skills, right? You've got to make sure that you, that you are more and more skilled and you're doing your best. And then you got to put forth the effort and get the numbers. So tell us about your, I don't know if it was your next sales job, but I also, I know that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people in our network together, you know, that the way that you and I got connected is uh, kind of through Cutco, right? So that you were one of, you were one of the guys in our group that also was a Cutco salesman. How old were you when you did that? And tell us about that experience. Yeah. So this is, so I was finishing up my senior year. I had just graduated literally on the day of graduation. I got a posted on my car talking about this opportunity and it was really vague. I didn't know what it was. It just had a really high base pay. And I was like, that, sounds really attractive. I like what I'm doing. I'm making good money, but could I be making more? Or could I just have something new, a new challenge? So I decided for a while to juggle both of them. So I would take my crew out. I would sell Cutco part-time. I would have my crew part-time and uh, really just tried to see what I was best at. Could I juggle both of them? It was pretty easy to tell right away that it was hard to juggle both of those. Like I really needed to put more time into one than the other. And so that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to pursue selling Cutco and see how good I can be here. And that ended up working out really well too. You know, at first I would say I was very average, but um, I, I understood the game of work ethic. I understood just this idea of, of having a script, having a formula, following a blueprint uh, the whole rejection thing, I didn't, I mean, I was numb to the word no. Like it, it didn't do anything to me. I just had, you know, I was very callous there and uh, it just bounced off me. So I think that uh, I had a lot more success because of that, but I ended up paying for all my college by selling Cutco. You know, that was $15,000 a year for tuition and room and board at the University of Illinois. And, uh, and I did it all by selling over summer only. So it right. was a, uh, it was a really cool experience for me on the sales side before I got into the management side, which I also did in college as well. All right. So you would go to college for nine, nine months out of the year. Then for three months, you'd sell Cutco. You'd do 15,000 in sales that pay for your tuition. Then you'd go back to school. I would just, uh, yeah, when I went to school, I, would, I did summer internships and the summer internships kind of pay for the tuition for the year. And then you got to go back at it. So a lot of people, we've been telling agents this year to be able to come up with different investments, right? They've, they're really great. Our listeners are really great at getting deals. Our listeners are really great at being agents, at creating income. But we've talked about, you know, being able to invest in real estate, like buy some rentals or, you know, buy some businesses. We had Cody Sanchez on here talking about how to buy like a business for sale, you know, and diversify that way. There's a lot of different options for people out there. But I think some of the pushback people will say is, they kind of picture investors as, well, people need to be making just so much money to become an investor. 
You know, they may imagine like, oh, I need to have like hundreds of thousands in savings before I become an investor. Maybe that is the truth. Is that the truth? Like, does someone need to have a certain amount of, of, of money and savings to be able to become an investor? What was your first investment you did? Sure. I mean, I think that could it help if someone has money to invest? Sure. But is that, does that mean if they don't, that they can't? Not at all. You know, I think there's a lot of creativity that exists and there are ways to structure deals where you don't have to put any money down and you can still get some sort of, you know, action in a deal. And so, you know, when I think about like being a real estate agent and, and, you know, really in that space, number one, you're, you've got an expertise in an area where you can also invest. A lot of people don't have that. You know, when I became a, a manager with, with Cutco, it wasn't like I could just invest in Cutco as an investment opportunity. You know, that didn't exist. So I worked really hard to make as much as I could and then save as much as I could so I could invest it into different areas. And so for a while, you know, I, I worked hard to build up investments. But what I realized later is that I never really even need to, needed to do that, that if you have a good investment, you'll find the money for it because investors are always looking for a good deal. And the same is true in the world of a single family home or other types of real estate. If it's a good investment, people will find a way to invest in that deal if they know about it. So I've structured many deals over the years that have been little down or no down or just a unique structure where I paid over a period of time off of you know, profit that the business generated. And, you know, the, the first investment that I had was in a home. It was in a condo and I was buying it for myself, but I quickly received a promotion at that time uh, with Cutco and I moved from Chicago to St. Louis. And so that home ended up becoming a rental right away, but I never priced it that way. I never looked at it as if it would be a rental and it was a negative cash flowing deal. So I, I learned a valuable lesson right out of the gates that, I need to be careful with the purchases that I make and that they can be a good cash flowing opportunity. And if they can't, I should just sell it. But this was back in, you know, 05, 06 and, uh, you know, peak of the housing market to, you know, just the, the valley of it. And so, I, you know, I, I, if I had thought of this ahead of time, I could have sold. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to. And I just hung on to it for years and years and years with negative cash flow. You still, did you finally sell it? I did finally sell it. Uh, I was upside down and uh, I was like, I just got to get rid of this thing. It's taking up too much emotional space, you know, and, and uh, I just had to let it go. And I let it go for a loss. But once I got rid of it, it felt so good. And I just knew that I needed a better model. You know, that model was let me buy a home to live in. And I didn't even consider that homes were, you know, that, that prices were inflated. Uh, but I also didn't consider the ramifications if I were to move and, you know, if I should sell, if I should, and if I could rent it, what that looks like. And there were just so many great lessons inside that. And I knew so many people that did real estate and were successful at it. And I just knew that I needed to copy them. Like my, my process didn't work because I didn't model anyone. I just tried my own thing. Yeah. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. 
RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real life human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many come. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50, that's Rockstar50, and sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. So your first investment was actually a losing investment and yeah. the, what a way to learn, right? We end up having great rules. What's your, what's your smallest investment you've ever done? Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that the smallest investment I've ever done is uh, free, like $0 down. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's truly the smallest, you know, total size, you know, I, I mean, I, I've invested $10,000 into speculative stuff, maybe before I knew what I know today. And I've invested, you know, fifty or a hundred thousand dollars into different debt deals. So I mean, that, that would probably be the the span of it. But I've I've negotiated in a way where I've set up some some revenue streams with no money down, and those have been very lucrative deals as well. You know, just for people getting access to my network or uh, for advisory on scaling a business or building out divisions of a company, whatever it might be. Yeah. What is, what, what do you think, like, what's an average type of, of investment that you do? Or what are the, what are the, just a, a normal, you know, business sort of investment? Well, I, my, my bread and butter in real estate, though I've invested in almost every real estate asset class, unless it's super obscure, but my bread and butter is mobile home park investing. And I've done that for about 15 years and uh, that I really know inside and out. And so deals there for me were anywhere from half a million to 5 million. And each one, you know, some I would buy and hold and some I would flip. And it just kind of depended on the season or the deal. So in the world of real estate, that was it. And I would generally put down 15 to 20%. That, that was pretty standard. If I did a seller finance deal, uh, I could often get it for less. And if I did just a standard small bank loan, in a local market, you know, generally it was 20% down and that would be kind of like a standard deal, but I've done a lot of debt investing as well. And so that's completely different. And if you're investing in like a fund or even a syndication or even just a specific asset, that could be a $50,000 investment or a $100,000 investment. 
uh, on up to, you know, I've done some that are over a million. And then a lot of investments that I do are in the realm of operating companies, just, you know, buying businesses that already exist or investing into them. So maybe I don't buy them outright. Maybe I just become an investor, a minority uh, investor in a deal. And, you know, that comes with all different numbers. I mean, I've invested just a few thousand dollars. Uh, I've invested no money and just expertise and and my network to a few thousand dollars to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to you know five hundred thousand dollars. So it, it all really depends. And sometimes I've been able to finance even those investments. So when you're talking about debt deal, that's somebody saying, "Hey, I'm going to buy this real estate, and you're going to you know put up a certain amount of money, and you're just going to get paid like a flat percentage, like a lender." Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, so that could be one way where you're like a hard money lender and and you make a premium, you know, something above and beyond your market interest rate because uh, they can't get a standard loan or they need it quickly. They can't go, they don't have the time for the underwriting or maybe they're just not going to qualify. And so you can charge a higher interest and be in the first lean position of that asset. So if anything goes wrong and you default uh, or they default, then you can take that asset. Uh, so that that's one type of debt deal. There are other types of debt deals where you can invest in a company and they can pledge their assets as collateral. So it could be a real estate asset. It could be their accounts receivable. They could pledge uh, membership interests or other equipment that they have. They could pledge stock. They could pledge all kinds of different things as collateral. And when I invest on the debt side, I really like to see two, three, four times the value of my loan in collateral. So the the goal in investing on the debt side is that I want the second best investment to be honoring the terms of the contract, which is already a good deal. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But the first best situation is if they default. That doesn't mean I want them to default, but I want the leverage to be there that they have every incentive in the world to not default because it's a way worse deal for them if they do. Yeah. The I, I I did a loan like that once with somebody that was like, "Yes, we'll give you we'll give you a six month loan," and it was expensive. It was a very risky, like non secured. It was like they needed to close a deal. We said, "Okay, we'll do it as a as a fifteen percent," and they were sure they were going to be done in ninety days and have this thing sold. And we said, "But if you're, you know, if after a, if after one hundred and twenty you still own it, then we double our fee." Right. Then, you know, and that was the big incentive, right? We really wanted to get it done because it was like, hey, you can, yes, we can help you with this, but having that kind of back end. So I think that's probably the example of the, you know, the best, the best investment is actually if there's a default, the second best is because, yeah, it's, it's no fun if you have to do that because most of the people you're investing into are people you know. It's like people that are, that are friends and other people brought it to you. So that's probably not always that easy to separate it. So you had a, so you would, you had a job, you had a, a good job where you would work hard and you would do sales and you would earn money. Like that's the vertical income. That's the, you're going, going to work somewhere every day and getting paid as a result of that work. If you take two weeks off, you don't get paid anymore. But if you're act, you know, if you're in action, you're, you're making money. And you started taking that money that you were kind of saving and putting it into other scenarios. I remember a business that, uh, that you had told me about once that you, I think you, you invested in the business for like startup capital to help cover some salaries and some other stuff. You also kind of helped the business through like some board type stuff and gave them guidance and advice. But then somewhere, and I don't know how long the property process was, but then eventually they pay you off. You're no longer on the board, but you own a percentage of that company kind of forever, or they can buy you out. 
Is that a common structure? And when you do structures like that, is it is every deal different? Or if somebody is looking at that, somebody goes, reaches out to one of our real estate agents and says, hey, invest $50,000 in my business. What should they be asking for back? Yeah, that's a great question, Aaron. And every deal is a little bit different. And I, I do like structuring deals like that. So I love being the capital of a deal. You know, I like having that role as long as it makes sense and as long as I'm really protected in that. And so I've had many that have just really been unique deals. It was a time and a place where they needed capital to scale or and or expertise. And, uh, and so we were able to, you know, figure something out. And so in my book, I actually outline kind of the, the framework that I operate out of. So if I'm going to do some sort of advisory or consulting, or if I'm just strictly going to be a capital partner, what that looks like. And so, you know, sometimes if it is a cash flow friendly business, I want a piece of that cash flow. You know, I want some top line revenue. Uh, if it's possible to have equity as well, that might make sense. You know, if they're, if it's not like a, a business where I can have revenue, you know, maybe it is some sort of uh, higher equity type position, but with distributions or with an accelerated distribution schedule. So that way I can get all of my money that I invested in out quickly to de-risk the deal. There are a lot of different ways to structure it. And I've done, I mean, there's just truly no business that's exactly the same. I mean, there are ways that I like to negotiate a liquidity preference uh, for an exit on a company. That's another great way. And I like to negotiate those in the first position on gross proceeds. So it doesn't matter what debt exists. It doesn't matter what, you know, who else I need to pay off. I'm going to be in first position when they do exit and be able to capitalize on uh, that investment. So lots of different ways, lots of different mechanics. And uh, that, you know, that's one of my favorites. And, you know, in, in all, uh, you know, just, just being clear, like, when I was in college, I, I sold Cutco. So the, the time that I spent uh, was really what my income was based on. Once I graduated from college, and technically my, in between my junior and senior year, I ran an office with, with Cutco. So a lot of our network, we were in two different groups. A lot of them were sales professionals that really operated at a high level. And I transitioned into the management side. And so I learned to build teams. I learned to scale. Uh, I learned how to operate a business without me doing everything. And so I really implemented a lot of what I learned as a sales representative on, you know, even the newspaper subscription side or, or the Cutco side uh, with making scripts and creating processes and, and making it easy to teach people so that they can move in and do the same things. But really, I, I see the world through repetition. And so that helped me to be able to build out teams, grow, you know, recruiting, increase sales, build out divisions in companies, which lends itself very well to a lot of the consulting and advisory that I've done over the years, where companies will have me come in and they'll have me either invest or uh, share with them things that I've done in the past to help other companies scale. And so that, that really was like the foundation for me where I was able to transition from getting paid on my time directly to getting paid on my time indirectly. Yeah. So are people going to learn more about investing from watching Shark Tank or from reading your book? Because the, that's the only other time I see people talking deals like that is like on Shark Tank, they're, they're all the different versions of it. So the, what do you think? 
Well, Shark Tank's a lot of fun, but I think that the the, the likelihood of even getting a deal there is not good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they say most say no to most of them, but you could learn some unique deal structures. But I think a lot of what they do is pretty elementary there as well, or at least what they air on on the episodes. Mm-hmm. So the way I wrote this book, you know, the Lifestyle Investor, I really wanted to make it a book that a novice investor could pick up and say, "Wow." I can take action on this. This is there's content here that is so relevant to me. But at the same time, I want an experienced investor to be able to pick it up. And you know, I had one of my friends that has been investing for 20 years, um, a, a professional investor, very successful, built his own company. Uh, he picked it up and read it, and he said that there were several things in there that he had never even heard of, never even considered, and said it was a total game changer for him which he didn't expect being a, an investment professional. So I think it, that it really spans all genres and um, it's really appealing to anyone that wants to figure out how to stop trading time for money and really create assets that produce income or just have your capital produce income. Yeah. So Justin's book's The Lifestyle Investor. I've already, it just came out a couple of weeks ago and I've already seen it's like New York Times bestseller or one of the Wall Street Journal bestsellers. It's, it's hitting the bestseller list. I mean, I've known so many people that have bestsellers on Amazon, right? That's a pretty normal thing for everybody that releases a book on Amazon. They're a bestseller for at least a day or two after. But the beginning on some of those other ones is, is a big deal. So the, I think I've heard that your book has kind of some rules of investing, right? Where you say like, if you're going to invest, these are the rules of investing. What are the rules of investing? Great question. Yeah. So the subtitle of the book is the 10 commandments of cash flow investing for passive income and financial freedom. And it's really my 10 criteria for how to invest and why I invest in the deals that I do. I look at these and I see if I can check the box and really what I'm, my goal here is to, to make it so investments are not emotional transactions, that they're more fact and data driven. So if I have a checklist that takes the emotions out of it, it doesn't matter if I like a deal, if it doesn't line up to my criteria, then I probably shouldn't do that deal. Otherwise I can get into some trouble. So that really was kind of the, the genesis of it. And the whole idea of the book started as more of a, a legacy piece to my daughter, because I, uh, I had a mutual, we have a mutual friend that I was having a conversation with. I've had friends for years say, Justin, write a book, you know, teach people all this stuff and, you know, do a course, do all these different things. And I, I kind of just, you know, for a while said, no, I'm not really a marketer. I'm more of a practitioner. I just, I like to invest and I don't know that I want to do all the other stuff. But my, my friend, John Kane uh, said, Justin, what happens if you die and your daughter never learns all this stuff you know about investing that could give her a leg up in life? And so that really hit me hard. And after years of procrastinating writing a book, two days later, I'm literally writing words, my first words to this book after that conversation. And we had a follow-up conversation. And it was just a very impactful and meaningful time that we spent together. And since then, I've really incorporated a lot of the people that I have coached and consulted over the years. And taken what they gained as the, the greatest insider value for our time together and, and really just kind of uh, gave a lot of people a chance to read it and, and weigh in and give feedback based on the content that I put in. And uh, I just, I'm really proud of the finished product. What's the most important commandment? In there? Oh man, what a tough question. 
you know, the, the very first commandment is lifestyle first. And the whole book is about getting clear on what lifestyle you want. So I would say that everything starts and ends there because, you know, so if you want to make sure you don't lose money, well, maybe commandment two of reduce the risk is the most important. But to me, the reason I put lifestyle first as the, you know, kind of the, the gatekeeper is because I want to have investments that help me live a great life. I want to stop trading time for money. I want to stop living life out of fear or out of uh, being a slave to, you know, either the business, the job, uh, security. I just, I don't want to be handcuffed to anything, right? I don't want the golden handcuffs. I don't want to be shackled to my lifestyle and not be able to leave a job or leave my business because it costs me too much to live. I, I don't want that. And so the whole idea of lifestyle first was creating a vision of what you want your life to look like. What is ideal? Uh, I even have in there like a checklist of different things that would be freedoms to experience, freedom of impact, freedom of relationship, freedom of time, freedom of, I mean, there, there's just tons of different elements there, but it's really getting clear instead of living life on autopilot and just reacting and responding all the time, it's more about taking time to get clear on what you want and then focus on living that and, you know, spending the time to build a life by design. Yeah. And I think for any anyone out there that's listening, that's thinking about, well, I mean, so we've been saying this year, create the backup plan. We've been saying, use your income that you work so hard for. And, you know, and, and some of it's like save and set up a rainy, a rainy day fund, but also the true goal of any sort of investing. The reason I would buy rentals and so I used to flip houses, I would buy houses and I would, you know, you buy them for a hundred thousand and you fix them and you sell them and we'd make 10,000 in profit. And it seemed like a no brainer. You'd buy this thing, you'd sell it, you'd make $10,000. And for the first five, six years of doing it, I never wanted to, to keep any because I was like, why would I rent it and only make you know $100 a month or $200? Because I was borrowing money to do all this stuff. I didn't have any money. So I'd get people to invest in me. I'd buy the house. I'd flip it. I'd split profit with them. And so why would I keep it and only make like $100 a month on a rental after I pay off my debt when I could make $10,000 right now? And so from 2009 to 2012, that's the way I did it. We flipped like a thousand houses and we did really, really good. But then in 2013, we got kind of put out of business because all of a sudden there was a bunch of people in the business and we had this heavy overhead and, you know, and company cars and things like that. And then we went back to like, whoa, if we would have just kept those houses and we were getting paid a hundred bucks a piece still on them, then it didn't matter if all this happened. And then we got to experience that a lot uh, last year in 2020. You know, we had uh, 300 rentals and then, you know, the world gets shut down. All of a sudden our day-to-day -day normal business can't happen anymore. And the, and the rentals got to help us. So focusing on that lifestyle, the reason I reshare that story compared to Justin is it's the idea of what lifestyle do you want? Why would you want to invest? Now, some people might go, no, I love, I love doing this. I really want to sell real estate and I really want to keep working hard and I'm, and I'm going to build it that way. And I think that's true. The idea of having that horizontal income is like, but what if? What if this changes? What if this law changes? What if this market changes? What if we decide we need to change? What if all of a sudden you need to move uh, to a different city? What if, you know, what, all those different things. So keeping different options open and focus on that lifestyle. 
the biggest benefit ever of being an entrepreneur. The biggest benefit a lot of people choose to be real estate agents is because they can go on vacations and they can go do things and they can be a little bit more in control of their time. But Justin, I love the idea that your book is really to be in full control of your time, to have them set up a goal you know, to get there. The, do, you, do you teach people how to analyze one investment to another? Is this one better than another? Is, is, is that how investments work? Or is it always like a yes? Are you doing more yes or no? Or are you doing this one or this one? Well, it's kind of both because in every one of my commandments, I give an example of an investment that I did that was structured to kind of fit that commandment. And you'll notice that it fits many of the other commandments as well. But I really wanted to give at least one, if not two specific examples. So there's definitely the, does it check the box type of, of question. Uh, but at the same time, there's so much uniqueness in each of the deals. You can see the pros and the cons. You can see why I would invest in this deal in this situation, but maybe not in another situation. So I, I really want to do... I want to explain as much as I can through examples and real, uh, real investments for people to kind of wrap their head around it. So how, how does it work practically? How does it, you know, I, I hear this theory, but how does it actually work? And I want to break that down. And I think that your market is incredible for this because, you know, I'm sure that there are people that you have in, that are listeners here that love what they do selling real estate. And I think that that is amazing. I mean, most people don't love what they do. They do it because they have to. But the question is, how do you move from having to work to getting to work, right? It's a big shift. It doesn't sound really that much different, but what if you did never have to sell another home? What schedule would it look like? Or what systems would you put in place? And what people would you empower to run things? Maybe you can still have a real estate operation, but maybe you don't do any of the work that you don't want to do, that you don't like doing. And what happens with the business? It might actually scale. And, and the things that you may be afraid to do or unsure of how to do, you don't have to, I guess, wait or live in fear on those because if money's taken care of, you can do whatever you want in your business. You can work as much as you want, as little as you want. You can do some trial and error. And I've found that in my life, when money was taken care of and I didn't have to make money, that the way that I spent my time, my energy shifted, the resourcefulness that I had shifted. I was actually able to get more business and better results because I wasn't stuck in this framework and this mindset that was very limited based on the only thing I had ever done before. And I just need to keep doing that because I know it works. Yeah. What's well, uh, the last question, but we need to, I need to get more of a teaser to our listeners. So we're telling them, go buy this book, but like, tell, tell us one of the commandments and the story that goes with it. So, I mean, I, I know it's probably like a chapter in your book and trying to cliff notes is hard, but what's one of the commandments and one of the investments that you did that followed that commandment? Sure. So uh, I, you know, I think of a few different ones here, but I'm a huge fan of, first of all, de-risking a deal. I talked about that briefly. The protection side is never as fun or sexy sounding as like the upside of a deal. Mm -hmm. So let's maybe take a look at, at something more unique. Let's talk about commandment number four. And that one is getting your principal back quickly. So a lot of the investments that I like to do involve investing a certain amount of money for a very short duration of time. Maybe it's one year, maybe it's two years. I've done them in six months. 
and getting that money out as quickly as you can to redirect it and redeploy it. And that can work in a lot of ways. Maybe it's by buying real estate and it cash flows enough that it pays you back quickly. Maybe you're able to refi out on real estate. Maybe you're able to structure uh, a note that is a debt deal and you're able to get it uh, back in a one-year term, but with some really high interest along the way. There's a lot of different ways that you can structure it, but since you have a real estate-minded market, uh, I'll just talk about one of my investments that I, I have loved doing. I've done many like this where the group, uh, you know, maybe I invested in this case, it was a syndication. And so there was someone else running it. I didn't have to run it. And I've bought properties where I've run it and I've done this strategy, but this is one that involved no time. All I had to do is vet the group, make sure that it was a really strong group, that the operators have experience in what they're doing. And this group would refi out in one to one and a half years pay investors back all their initial investment plus a return, plus they're getting uh, cash flow, 10% preferred return quarterly. And uh, so there's cash flow the whole time. You get a lump sum of all your money back plus a return on that money. Plus now you have equity in the deal into perpetuity uh, or you, know, you get your piece whenever uh, they sell. And so that's a unique investment because I'm able to pull my money back out in one year, let's say. Uh, or we could say two years. And instead of investing in something that's a long-term hold, like the stock market or a venture capital deal, maybe you're in it for 10 plus years before you realize what the return is and was it successful? Was it not successful? I'm doing deals where I'm getting my money out every one to two years. I still have equity. I'm investing it into something else just like it with the same dollars, so now I've got this velocity of money. I take the same, let's say $100,000. I invested in one deal. I get it back in a year. I take that same money, invest it into another deal. I get it back, let's say in two years. Do it again, the next one for maybe 1.5 years. So each time I'm recycling the same dollars, but I have equity in all these investments. So once 10 years hits, maybe I'm in five or six or seven deals. Whereas other people that invest long-term, they're in one deal. They've got more eggs in that one basket. I'm diversified and I have equity in many different spots. So that means my return profile is exponentially larger uh, and I don't even need all of them to perform to get a better return. Yeah. And that's, those examples are great ones for people. Like I think a lot of people can wrap their head around saving 20 to 30,000 a year. But then a lot of people probably think about, well, then investing, you're spending it. You no longer have that money. And if you do bad investments, I could see that being the key. But if somebody does a good investment, it's like instead of that 25000 being savings in the bank account, now it's over in this other thing instead. And you're getting paid the interest. And at the end, you get it back. So if every year you're saving 25000 and you're investing that 25000 when it comes up, you know, then that gets to start to grow. You know, then, then next year, when the first 25,000 pays you back, you have a new 25,000 in savings. Now you're investing 50, or now you get to invest the profits that you've made too. And the idea of getting paid back, but then still owning something later, like I love buying a house and renting it. And then I know I'm going to get a hundred bucks a month forever. Right. Yeah. But, but you're saying, you know, you can actually get all your money back and then get a hundred bucks a month forever. Like in real estate, we call that a refinance, right? Like I buy a house, I put 80,000 into it. A couple of years later, I get a loan and I get my whole 80,000 back out, right? So now I don't have an investment in there, but it still makes $100 forever. So in real estate, it's really easy to understand that concept, but you're taking that real estate concept of, no, you can get your money back and still get something uh, forever. Justin, I think that's, that, that's really, really fun stuff. 
the um, you know, I, that's really the time we have for today for our listeners. So the book is The Lifestyle Investor. If people want to go buy it, how do they find it? If they've got questions, they want to hear more about you. I think you've got a podcast. You've got a whole bunch of other stuff. What's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. The, the best place to find the book would be lifestyleinvestor.com. That's where you can go and you can get the book. And I've got a whole bunch of free stuff uh, as well as uh, just gifts to people that, that check out the website. Uh, I've got my own website, justindonald.com. And that one has, you know, all different sorts of things I do. So I do have a podcast called The Lifestyle Investor. I've got an online course. I've got a master class. I've got a mastermind, a private coaching practice that is very limited and it's waitlist only at this point. But I, I just, I love sharing uh, this opportunity. And as far as the, the book goes, uh, all the proceeds on the book go to charity. It goes to an organization called Love Justice International. Um, they stop human trafficking in 17 countries around the world. And uh, I just really felt compelled to support that group. So wherever you buy it, um, just know that your proceeds are going to a really good cause, a very worthy cause. But then at the same time, if you do get it on my website, I'm offering it for free. You just pay for the shipping. So you can, of course, find it on Amazon and other places. I just give a bunch of free stuff away on my website at lifestyleinvestor.com. Very cool. So you guys hear that? You can you can invest in a book. You can get to learn. You get to invest in yourself, but it's also like donating to charity because that's where Justin's putting it. Go to justindonald.com. Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for thanks listening. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Great time. All right. Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.